This is the Lightning Junkies podcast with your host, Chaz. On this week's episode of the podcast, we're talking about Lightning Escrow with Tristan and Geistlight. So I thought Lightning Escrow was a prime example of an app that needed more exposure in the Lightning network space. Other than that, if you'd like to go ahead and support Lightning Junkies and what we do with Lightning Network Education, consider supporting us on Breeze, Fountain, or any of the other value-for-value apps you can find at newpodcastapps.com. As well, you can go to lightningjunkies.net forward slash support where you can find all the different ways you can support us as well as the different supporters that make this podcast possible help keep this podcast ad free by supporting us today now on with this twitter spaces podcast thing oh by the way the audio kind of sucks now on with the show Let's go ahead and start here then. Um, you know, we'll let people kind of uh, slowly trickle in here uh, while we're doing the kind of introductions and kind of paperwork stuff here. Um, so I would like to go ahead and welcome everyone to a Lightning Friday. Uh, this Lightning Friday is going to be dedicated to Lightning escrow um, and kind of topics related to that. Um, uh, and so, yeah, we're going to be exploring that. Uh, and uh, w- with us today, we have uh, Tristan, um, who is, I'm not sure if it's the CEO, the creator, or what you want to call yourself, of Lightning uh, Escrow. Uh, you can call me the founder. Okay. Fa- okay, founder of Lightning Escrow. Thank you. Um, and then we also have a friend of the podcast on as well, Geistlight. We want to go and welcome him as well. Howdy. Yeah, I'm a, a co- I'm an unofficial co-founder of Lightning Escrow, and uh, also uh, the lead, the currently the lead engineer. Uh, perfect, great for that uh, uh, reference there. Um, and I would like to go ahead and also welcome our two co-hosts, uh, Evan Kaludis and Justifer. How are you guys doing today? Solid. How are you guys doing? Yeah, I'm, I'm doing well myself. Um, yeah, very excited to uh, to learn a little bit about Lightning Escrow and uh, jump into the topics today. Yeah, absolutely. So um, something that we try to do on the show, we don't always succeed because it seems like we just uh, jump into topics. Uh, but um, I think what we should do here is go on to amboss.space and look at the current capacity numbers for the Lightning Network. So right now we're currently sitting at 3,645.17 BTC. Um, That appears to be a 5% increase in the last week with a increase in 2,819 channels which is a 3% increase and three, a, uh, an, an addition of 362 nodes, which is an increase of 2%. Uh, 
So before we jump into our main topic of a lightning escrow, do you guys want to kind of just briefly comment, you know, it's for everybody, kind of just briefly comment on the current state of the uh, capacity numbers for the lightning network and channel numbers, node numbers, whatever. Things are looking good. I mean, like 5%. Oh, sorry, guys. Go ahead, Evan. Yeah, I'm, I'm just saying, uh, you know, despite uh, us hitting a bit of a bump price-wise uh, the last couple of weeks, it's great to see Lightning is still growing, and, you know, we expect to, to grow by some leaps and bounds in 2022. Uh, 5% or so in terms of the public capacity is incredible in one week, and, uh, you know, we, we hope uh, we, we keep this uh, this rate alive. This is, this is great. Yeah, it's nice to see. I think that uh, a lot of the growth it can be attributed to um, things like Umbral, uh, Umbral coming out and having um, a, and having their their launch a while back led to a great big spike in the number of Lightning nodes and channels available on the network, and I think we'll just keep keep seeing that continue. Yeah, likewise, I uh, still think that we're really early when we when it comes to you know building a company around Lightning. And I think as the popularity grows for Bitcoin, um, it'll grow for Lightning as well. And it's really nice to see that growing uh, with Bitcoin. Yeah, it, uh, for me, it's it's pretty comforting to to see that the the Lightning network continues to grow uh, despite uh, some, you know, fiat uh, price uh, changes. Uh, so, like, yeah, regardless of what the Bitcoin price does. Um, the Lightning Network continues to grow, and uh, not only in capacity, which which I, I might expect to go up as the Bitcoin price goes down, uh, so that you can make these uh, larger payments, but also we see the number of nodes increase. So that tells me that there's either more more users um, or more hardware being deployed. Um, and I would love to uh, find out a little bit more about whether it's more users or uh, simply more hardware that's that's coming up. So would you guys agree with me that the speed at which um, like the the capacity is going up has slowed down or am I just imagining things? Um, let's see. I've been posting about it. Uh, so now it's been, uh, it's been growing at 4% per week for the past three weeks. And uh, just by including this, uh, well today, uh, that, that brings that capacity increase to 5% per week. So uh, overall, it seems to be accelerating. I think the the number that I was waiting to hit um, before I really uh, celebrated. Well, there's there's two numbers, I guess. Um, uh, let me pull up the Clark Moody or is it Clark Moody? I always forget uh, dashboard here. Yeah, um, and uh, so the the liquid side chain. Um, where is that even on the Clark Moody thing? They didn't bother to put that on here. Um, oh, there it is. Uh, has 3,531. So uh, the public capacity, um, well, according to Clark Moody, we're actually under that number. So that's another topic of uh, differing uh, 
capacity numbers depending on what venue you're looking at. But um, well, we'll just go with the amboss.space for now and assume that one's correct. Uh, but and say basically that there's more liquidity on the public side of the Lightning Network than the liquid sidechain has, and then the the second, the second number that I wanted to to beat at some point uh, was the Samurai Whirlpool. Uh, I don't think that's on Clark Moody at all. Uh, but the last time I checked, it was something like 3,500. So, you know, if we obviously kind of keep growing from here, um, like these other projects, you know, people use Liquid, you know, that's Blockstream's baby, et cetera. You know, Samurai obviously loves Whirlpool, et cetera. But I think those are kind of psychological um, roadblocks or just, you know, barriers, whatever, you know, kind of borrowing some language from trading there. But um, I, I find it fascinating because I think once those numbers are hit, there aren't a lot of other comparable quote, quote unquote side projects um, that kind of look, you know, look more impressive than Lightning now. Lightning has all the impressive numbers or whatever. What, do you guys, what are your guys' thoughts on that? I just spotted the Denry Whirlpool unspent capacity. It's at uh, 4,400 BTC. So I, I think Lightning has, has a little ways to grow uh, before it reaches that Whirlpool volume, but all good to see. I think it's a bit of a moving target, unfortunately. I think there are some other, um, uh, the, the idea of a, of a psychological um, kind of rite of passage that, that lightning would be the biggest, um, I'm not sure what the word is, maybe maybe second layer protocol on Bitcoin. It might be the word to put it as, or the phrase, to, uh, what, what we're really competing for there. Um, but yeah, the, uh, the uh, Samurai Whirlpool is probably the biggest second layer uh, tool on Bitcoin right now. It's like a second layer for privacy. And you know that's great. I think that that's a very important thing to have. Some others that I would compare, um, other second layer tools that are built on Bitcoin would be BISC. I think uh, comparing our numbers to be BISC might be a pretty cool comparison there and see like how many, how many, um, like how many offers to trade are on BISC and for how much and then compare that to what's on Lightning, that might be cool. And then Join Market is another. It's very similar to Samurai Whirlpool in that people have to lock up a certain amount of Bitcoin uh, to make them available. Well, lock up is not really the right word, but they have to put them in a certain wallet that then makes them available for coin joins. And it might be cool to compare and see what the what that how much uh, how much Bitcoin is available to do on coin joins in Join Market, and compare that with how much how much Bitcoin is available to do. Um, uh, to do in payment channels on the Lightning Network. I guess a quick thought here that I think most of us kind of realize is that, you know, we only know what the public facing stuff is. So there's, there's a good chance that if we kind of estimate using some of the previous estimation numbers, like 30% or something uh, of of the public numbers being, you know, in the public side, um, we we might be able to guess that we're, we we are already beaten Samurai Whirlpool in that sense. Um, but anyway, I think that's kind of the end of that topic there. Unless anyone else had any thoughts on capacity numbers, other layer twos, or other kind of projects that are, you know, might want to compete on their vanity there, as as it were. 
All right, so let's go ahead and jump into Lightning escrow itself. So um, first off, you know, I'm a dumbass. What is escrow? And, you know, let's explain the basics of that before we jump into uh, what Lightning escrow is uh, specifically. Tristan, well, you want to take this one? Yeah, I do. Well, first off, you're not a dumbass. Um, <laughs> uh, thanks for having me. So uh, escrow essentially is a protocol to ensure, you know, two parties interacting in a deal uh, get their deal to share. So in between those two parties is escrow. And uh, how escrow works is um, <clears throat> it's actually pretty simple. So me, the buyer, and you, the seller, I want to buy your, you know, I don't know, camera. So I would put my money into escrow. And while that happens, the seller, you, ships out your camera. And um, once I receive that camera, uh, I confirm with the escrow, like, hey, this is what I, you know, this is what I bought. This is not a box of rocks. And then from there, uh, the escrow agent will release the funds to the seller, you, uh, for a small fee, or it's supposed to be a small fee. Okay, so a quick example of this might be uh, eBay. You know, the escrow, uh, eBay and PayPal, how they used to be maybe. Um, like, obviously, this is not decentralized or anything cool with Bitcoin, but, you know, that would obviously be an example of escrow, right? Yeah, so uh, the issue is that, you know, eBay and uh, their counterpart that they use today for escrow is escrow.com. Uh, it's just such an outdated system that I have today. And um, it's been 20 plus years. And not once have they ever thought to themselves, is there, is there a better way to do this? And um, it's very frustrating having to rely on these banks today to uh, use this process. Okay, so how about we kind of go into that a little bit before we actually explain lightning uh, escrow here. So what do you think, you know, well, what's your you know, view on the escrow market right now? Like, what are the downsides? What are the pain points? Um, and, you know, uh, you know, kind of go from there. The downsides and pain points really speak for themselves because today uh, what we have is slow, outdated, and centralized. And uh, the issue is that it still relies on banks. Um, so what we're trying to do is make a completely, you know, not completely, but uh, most for the most part decentralized um SRL protocol to ensure that it is uh, cheaper and way faster than anything else. Um, as far as it works technically, uh, I'll let my co-founder speak on that. Um, but yeah. We'll yeah, I, I just want to mention that. When you use something like escrow.com, let's say I wanted to sell a domain name to you. Um, so I, I registered this domain name with ICANN back in, back in you know, two, the year 2000, and now you want to buy it. Um, in order for me to use escrow.com to transfer that domain or to, to receive the money, they're going to charge, first of all, they're going to charge a 3.25% uh, minimum fee, which isn't so bad, except that they offer or that they make a whole bunch of other fees on top of that. Like if you use a credit card, then you get an additional 3% fee. And if you're, if I, if I'm selling to someone over in Australia, they're going to tack on an extra $60 fee flat rate or something like that. And so you end up like, you end up paying 80 or more dollars to transfer a domain that costs a thousand. And it's like, this is, you know, this is a 8% fee to do something that's pretty simple. Um, so we, we really want to tackle that and make it so that like we re reduce fees. Oh, and, and they also like, if you're using them to transfer a domain name or something, uh, even after the seller's like, okay, I got the domain name. 
it's all red or the buyers. Like I, I got the domain name. It's all registered on ICANN that I'm the owner now. Um, they're going to take like five days to release funds to the, uh, to the, uh, seller. So like, it's like, he already confirmed that I, that I gave him the thing. Why can't I just have my money right now? And they're like, no, no, no. Bank wires take five days. <laughs> so, uh, we can do it faster and we can do it cheaper with Bitcoin. And that's really where the difference comes in. Yeah. So what we're doing is, um, you know, as, uh, my co-founder said, um, the minimum fee with escrow.com is like 3.25% and the processing time is three to five days. Uh, which is expensive and ridiculous, right? Uh, so to combat that, what we're doing is a flat 1% fee with zero hidden fees and a three to five second uh, processing time, which is, you know, a no brainer for anybody using escrow. And another thing is that I want to make sure that escrow isn't so formal anywhere because, you know, if you want to use any form of uh, escrow today, you have to either have a huge transaction you want to use with the bank or you have to be somebody, right? So I want to make it a lot less formal so that the average person using Bitcoin uh, can have the security of escrow without having to worry you know, about anything else. Now, like when when uh, regular people encounter the word escrow, uh, I tend to think of houses. Um, and, you know, my my uh, naive understanding is that uh, a certain amount of money or the, the purchase amount of the house would be locked up for about 30 days. Um, and uh, you're talking about uh, a faster escrow. Um, does that sort of imply that the 30 days that you might have escrow for a, a house is, is because of uh, the payment system that's behind it? Or is that more about some administrative rule that, that might be part of that contract? So yeah, that's actually uh, an administrative rule that they have to go through um, in, in terms of law. But uh, fun fact, uh, it's funny you bring up homes. I actually used to work in the real estate industry for, for years and years. And uh, let me tell you, the escrow process we have today, especially for homes, is like, it is utterly ridiculous and expensive. Um, <clears throat> I, I think the last time I used a mortgage, or I worked with a mortgage um, with a customer, um, the fee was like, I think 5%, which is ridiculous on like a $500,000 transaction or more uh, that adds up really fast. Um, but yeah, we're hoping to change the word escrow. So it's not so formal anymore. And people don't, you know, as associate with homes and huge transactions because, uh, I would like to see this used in things like, you know, gaming. So people can sell their, you know, skins for like a gun as an NFT, whatever, whatever it is, uh, with the security of escrow to make sure they aren't, you know, scammed. And, and speaking on that security piece a little bit, um, what, uh, like what, what solution does, does like escrow in general, or what problem does escrow in general solve? Uh, is it, can you think of it as like insurance or something on a transaction? The problem is like, if, if, let's say Alice and Bob are the, are the counterparties. Alice wants to buy a camera from Bob. Um, she doesn't want to give Bob her bitcoins, and then Bob just runs off with them and never sends the camera. You know what, what are you going to do? It's probably an online transaction. You don't know who Bob is, uh, and then on the other side, Bob doesn't want to just ship out the camera to Alice and then hope she sends the bitcoins because then she might get the camera and, and just run off with it and never send the bitcoins. So if they, if, if Alice and Bob don't trust each other, 
then an escrow can come in and traditionally it would be custodial. Uh, ours is not custodial, but traditionally you would, Alice would send the money to the escrow. And then uh, once she receives the camera, she'll, she'll, she'll be like, oh, hey, I, I got the camera. Uh, and as long as no dispute happens within 10 days, um, then they ship, then they give the money to Bob. Um, so we do a very similar thing with lightning escrow, except we do it without, without custody. But that's the problem it solves is like Alice doesn't trust Bob. Bob doesn't trust Alice, but they both trust, you know, Charlie. And so then you can use Charlie as the escrow for the money. Okay. So traditionally, uh, escrow relies on one trusted entity that, that both Alice and Bob trust, uh, to, uh, to, to make this uh, transaction complete. Absolutely, and that trustee today is banks. And um, the thing is, is that they're totally centralized and custodial, so that your money is actually in the hands of somebody else. So there is a uh, very high percentage of somebody uh, you know, wanting to steal that money versus uh, what we do is that your Bitcoin sits on all the nodes um, until uh, there's a confirmation of, of um, goods received. So um, <clears throat> I'll let just like speak a little on how that works. Yeah, do we want to dive into the technical aspects of how we do it in a non-custodial fashion or uh, save that for, for later? Or I don't know what the structure of this uh, of this Lightning Friday is. I, I actually really like the idea of just hitting that as fast as possible because that's, I think, like the, the crux. So might as well go for it now. Sure. Yeah. Well, there's there's two different ways that it can work. Um, the simplest one to explain uh, is uh, we run we run a routing node on the Lightning Network, and um, when Alice wants to pay Bob for the camera, uh, Alice attempts to make the payment through Bob and uh, ensures that the payment goes through our node, goes through our routing node. So now we have the ability to forward that payment to Bob or not forward it, in which case after two weeks she gets her money back. Um, so that's kind of how it works. We can we can just not forward the payment for a couple of weeks until Bob either says, you know, I got my camera or he opens a dispute. Uh, and then if assuming he got his camera, um, we forward the payment or, or actually Alice is getting the camera in this case. So when Alice says, yeah, I got the camera, then we forward the payment on to Bob. Or uh, if there's a dispute, then we can investigate and see what happened and make a decision about whether to forward the payment or cancel it. Uh, so I, that's the simpler protocol. And that's, um, uh, I, I hope that, does that explanation make sense for how that works? I, I have some questions. Uh, I think normally for people that run routing nodes, uh, the, the forwarding of payments just happens automatically. Um, so as you're, as you're passing a, a payment from one channel to, to a different channel. Uh, so but we, what we're talking about is actually uh, selecting when to forward a payment. Uh, can you explain a bit how that's different? Yeah. Um, so there's a couple different ways you can do that with uh, with various with, with uh, the uh, Lightning implementations. One of them is using a, a instruction or a, a function in LND called um, HTLC intercept. And so what happens normally in a Lightning payment, uh, your Lightning node will automatically forward the payment as long as the uh, sender of the money pays you whatever your fee is for operating that um, for doing that facilitating that transaction. Um, and it, one of the things you can do, though, is you can it, you can tell LND 
I'm going to use this HTLC intercept function. And then instead of just automatically forwarding it based on whether they paid my fee or not, uh, check, uh, run this other script instead. And depending on the outcome of that script, you know, either forward the payment or not. And by doing this HTLC intercept, then you can, um, you can add business logic in the middle of your route and be like, only route the payment if this happens. So that's, uh, that is a simple way of doing it. Um, another thing you can do in, uh, in Lightning is, this, this is where it gets kind of complicated, um, but there's these things called payment hashes um, that are part of every Lightning invoice. And you can't settle an invoice unless you know something called the pre-image to a payment hash. Um, so I can get into how we use that. That's the, the method we use involves these payment hashes and pre-images. Um, but it is a little complicated. So <laughs> bear, bear with me on this for a second. Um, so a payment hash, uh, uh, when you make a lightning payment, you have to create an invoice. And as part of that invoice, you take, uh, as the creator of the invoice, you first create a secret. You create a secret that is a uh, 32 bytes of random data. You just kind of make up your, your node makes up some random numbers and hashes them. So yeah, you have the secret and then you hash it. And the hash of that is the, um, is the payment, uh, payment hash. So you stick that in the invoice. And uh, the contract of a lightning payment says that uh, whoever, uh, the, the person who can withdraw money from a, from a lightning channel is the person who knows uh, this secret um, or, uh, and, has, and has a signature. So you have to know the secret and you have to know the signature. And uh, what you're doing along the path is that each, each party along the path is effectively purchasing from the, um, uh, from, from the, the, the next party, uh, from the next channel along the route. They're purchasing that pre-image. Um, so, uh, the, the person who's closest to the endpoint first pays him for the pre-image, then the next person back pays, pays that guy for the pre-image and so on until it gets to the, the payer, original payer. And when he has the pre-image, the, the original person who's paying the, uh, the payment, once he has it, that's his proof of payment. Um, because according to the lighting protocol, the seller of the good would not give him the, the secret pre-image, uh, unless he's confirming you know, I, I got my payment and, uh, and that's, that's how that works. So we, once you have the payment, um, pre-image as well as the invoice itself, that constitutes your proof of payment. Um, so, uh, the reason I bring that up is because, um, that's what we use when we're, um, when we're doing these, uh, this payment forwarding, um, we have the seller create a payment pre-image. And uh, he then gives us an invoice with a payment hash in it. We copy the payment hash and make our own invoice, um, that uh, to, which we give to the buyer. And the buyer pays or attempts to pay our invoice. Um, and the, we can't actually settle it because we don't have the payment pre-image from the buyer or from the uh, seller of the good. Uh, only he has it. So instead, since we can't settle it, all we can do is wait. Uh, and we actually use a HODL invoice to do this. We, we wait until um, the uh, buyer confirms that he received his goods. And as long as he received his goods and there were no disputes, we then pay the seller um, of the good for his pre-image, which he gives to us. And now that we have the pre-image, we can now settle the, uh, the, pay the payment from the buyer so that we get our money back plus a fee. Uh, so <laughs> I know that's complicated. Um, but the simple way of thinking about it is we're basically a, a routing node on the lightning network forwarding a payment 
and uh, we only forward the payment if the um, uh, if the um, uh, if the buyer got his goods. <clears throat> so. I guess my question is here, like I, you know, I don't know the answer to this. Like I'm genuinely curious because I feel like it's kind of like a semantics thing maybe, but like, so I just want to make sure I understand this. So your routing node, let's say, uh, you know, your, your, your company routing node essentially um, is the one that's kind of doing this. I'm, I'm trying to figure out how to ask this because I feel like it could go like not correctly, but let me try here. So um, could could someone make the argument, let's say, that you are actually custodial because the, the Bitcoin, quote unquote, is being held, scare quotes here, um, with this particular routing node? Or would you kind of disagree with the, the the semantics that I'm laying out there? Um, yeah, I would I would disagree because um, a, a routing node on the Lightning Network is non-custodial. Um, they're paying the uh, the recipient of the money and uh, only paying them if they get the uh, data that they need to reimburse themselves from the buyer. Um, so like Alice wants to pay Charlie through Bob. What happens on Lightning is Bob first pays Charlie, he gets a pre-image, and now he can use that pre-image to reimburse himself with Alice's money. So at no point during that does um, does Bob take control of Alice's money uh, until after the payment's been completed. So, so it's not custodial. Um, Alice's money can't go to Bob until after Charlie's been paid. Um, so that's the, we're doing the same thing here. And consequently, I would argue that in that sense, we're non-custodial. Uh, we don't take custody of Alice's money until after Bob or until after Charlie has been um, paid. Uh, and so uh, and it works the same way regular lightning payments do in that we don't we can't even uh, there's no possibility for us to settle the payment from Alice because we don't have the pre-image. Only Charlie does. Um, now, in another sense, though, there is. Um, there is a sense from Alice's perspective in which this is in which this is custodial, um, because Alice has to sign a transaction, um, approving that uh, as long as the payment gets forwarded and as long as Charlie gets uh, as long as Charlie accepts the payment, um, then her money is no longer going to be in her node. Uh, and so once she does that, once she signs that transaction. She no longer has full control over what happens to her money. In fact, there's a there's two people, Bob and Charlie, uh, who get to decide whether whether her, she gets her money back or not, and she has to trust that that group uh, that Bob and Charlie will not try to run off with their money. Um, so uh, one thing I like to compare it to is two of three multisig. Uh, if I have a key, or if uh, Alice has a key and Charlie has a key and Bob has a key to the money. Is Bob a custodian? Well, probably not, or arguably not, because he only has one key and he can't run off with the money with that one key. But if you, if Alice considers that Bob and Charlie both together they have two keys to that money, well, then they could run off with it, right? They they could, the, uh, the the combination of Bob and Charlie could run off with Alice's money. So from Alice's perspective, she should be like, is kind of custodial like there is a group of people who has full control of my money and i and i'm not in that group um but uh on the other hand you can also say well yeah but bob can't run off with your money and charlie can't run off with your money it would have to be both of them colluding in order to do that 
So I hope that clarifies. Uh, one, one thing, uh, Unchained Capital, they call their, they also use a 203 multi-sig model um, and they call it collaborative custody. So we might, uh, that might be a better term to use than non-custodial. Um, but on Lightning, we also use this model on Lightning and it, we always call it non-custodial, like just a regular routing node. It's like, oh, it doesn't take custody of your money. So uh, we are using that language, but uh, I'm not exactly sure uh, how uh, how much of that is like, like, it sort of depends on your perspective. Like we can't run off with the money, but we could if we colluded with Bob. So yeah, I don't know how to interpret that. Which is highly unlikely by the way. Okay. So um, just kind of going through this, like I, I don't have like an exact ordering inside my head on how we're doing these questions, but um, I think the next thing that my brain kind of goes to, okay, so, you know, non-custodial here or, you know, collaborative, et cetera. Um, but like, so I'm trying to kind of find the words here. Um, so since we're doing this on the Lightning Network, we're kind of inheriting like the limitations associated, right? Um, so I think I think I was reading on your little thing that kind of gave me a quick synopsis on everything that you guys can't keep the escrow open for quote unquote that long. Um, so for example, like just a quick example that I can cook up here, so, selling a camera on eBay, um, I'm selling it to someone in Europe. I have a really rare camera, whatever the case might be. Um, and maybe the shipping might take two weeks or maybe it's uh, in China or wherever um, and it takes three weeks. So, you know, the, the, the total time you can have um, something locked on a lightning network is two weeks. Uh, locked is not the right word, but you know what I mean? Um, and so I, I think you were saying that the total contract time has to be something below that. Is that right? Yeah, um, so we give the, that's absolutely correct. A, a lightning invoice uh, is, uh, they have these things called a uh, lock time, which is a, um, uh, what's it called? It, it's a parameter within a Bitcoin's uh, I think we lost them there for a second. Okay, so while we wait for him to uh, come back here, um, how about we maybe touch on a couple of the more of the business side here? So, um, so you're kind of talking about how uh, you know escrow.com, you know, very suboptimal, kind of almost ancient in its you know way that it does things. Um, the one thing that I would maybe want to point out and make really clear or, you know, just find out from you is, you know, on escrow.com, is that generally limited uh, to kind of like Western countries? So if I was in the United States and I wanted to do an escrow with someone in um, Kenya, for example, would that be very easy for me to accomplish or would that just be impossible on, on escrow.com? Great question. So the four countries that they support using escrow.com is uh, Australia, the UK, Canada, and America. So yeah, so what we allow people to do is not have to rely on those four options um, because Bitcoin is borderless, which is pretty nice. 
Yeah, absolutely. Like that's, I, th- I guess that's the part that I'm thinking about that any, any website, like any quote unquote web two, web one website, whatever you want to call them are kind of limited. They have to be in their jurisdictions. They have to have bank accounts. They, you know, the second that they begin to do these things, they're instantly regulated in a way that makes them not useful if you're thinking about being a global citizen. You know what I mean? If you're trying to kind of operate with, you know, maybe you're a business or maybe even just an individual that's, you know, trying to sell things um, internationally, you know, you're going to be very limited unless you're using your country's specific uh, platform. So, you know, we have escrow.com here apparently and maybe some other smaller ones. And I'm sure other countries have their own their own website or their own particular thing that they use to kind of accomplish the same goal. So like, it seems like the the best way to kind of broach this is maybe with Bitcoin and Lightning. So would you say that there it's, you know, because we're kind of talking about the limitations of Lightning here and what that might mean for your product. Um, basically, would you say that there is value in there's maybe something missing, excuse me, something missing from this product because it's, it is only lightning that maybe uh, on chain would kind of give you more uh, flexibility, but I guess maybe then you kind of lose your ability, like your kind of magic sauce here to kind of handle these things non-custodially. Yeah, that's a very valid question. So obviously we couldn't use lightning ESCO for homes, right? Because the limitations of today's system we have for, um, the titles and contracts that takes more than two weeks. So, uh, to solve that, I think in the future we will have a solution that isn't leaning more towards uh, the two week uh, deadline because if your transaction takes more than two weeks, it's most likely, uh, in my mind at least, a very large monetary uh, sized deal. So, uh, how we're going to solve that, I'm not sure yet, but we do plan in the future to offer that uh, as a solution. But uh, what we're trying to do for right now is allow people with smaller transactions that can ship with, um, you know, delivered to the customer within two weeks um, to have the security of escrow. So, yeah, in the future, um, that is most definitely something that we'll look into. But that's a great point of uh, not having that magic sauce. So I really want to try to figure out how to keep that magic sauce without, you know, being custodial. Got it. On those payment methods that you stated for escrow.com, did did I get that right? That uh, it's it's only four countries that are able to use escrow.com and their payment yeah. methods? Yeah, so this is the most frustrating part. I actually encourage everybody listening right now to uh, go ahead and go on escrow.com. Like I'll, I'll stop speaking for a second uh, so everybody can do this. Go to, go to escrow.com and go to their fees calculator and just play with it. Just, just have fun and just make a fake transaction, right? You don't even need an account, I'm pretty sure. Um, but yeah, you go to the options and you go to their fee calculator and there's only four tabs with uh, the countries that they uh, you know, offer this to, which is Canada, UK, Australia, and America. And it's frustrating because these people in these other countries, they don't have this website as an option to use for you know transactions that need escrow for. And it's frustrating. So um, I want to bring that to other countries besides these four. Hey, I'm sorry for cutting out back there. Uh, my my uh, Wi-Fi disconnect, disconnected. Um, 
where, where, do you got, want to go back to that question and I could finish it up or, or I forget where we were. I don't know at what point I, I got cut off. Sure. So um, we were kind of talking about, I had asked uh, Tristan here about the, the limitations of lightning and how, for example, maybe you couldn't buy a house with lightning escrow just because of, of limitations of capacity and time locks, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and that, you know, if you went on chain, then you would need to find the secret sauce in order to make that in, in a similar setup to lightning escrow there. So um, what are maybe like, so you're kind of talking about the limitations of, you know, the uh, two week uh, time lock. Um, do you want to kind of just finish that thought and maybe hit on some other limitations of lightning that would also kind of affect lightning escrow? Yeah. So um, one of the things that I also made, in addition to the, in addition to making an escrow solution that works on Lightning, uh, we've also had one for a long time that works in the base layer, uh, which is just two of three multisig. Right? Uh, Alice has a key, Bob has a key, and the escrow has a key. Uh, and then if there's a dispute, uh, the escrow sends his key to either Alice or Bob, and then that person has two keys, so they can withdraw the money. Um, or if there's no dispute, then they just Alice and Bob cooperate and sign and everything's good. So I made a version of um, Lightning Escrow that works using the base layer and using just two of three multi-sig. And if you do it that way, there's no time limit. Uh, the problem is it's not Lightning, so it's going to be probably, you know, maybe a thousand sats for a transaction fee, depending on where fee fees are. And it's going to take 10 minutes at, uh, to um, disperse the funds uh, after the seller con confirms rather than three to five seconds, which is what it would take if you're doing it on Lightning. So um, I have that version that, that works, but uh, the, if we, if, uh, if, when, when we, if we launch that as a feature that like you can do this on the base layer too, if you want to have a longer escrow, um, it'll be after we, after launch, it'll be like a feature from, from a while from now. Cause right yeah, now we sure. want to focus on Lightning and make sure that Lightning works um, for the use cases where you can get something shipped within 10 business days or within 10 days rather. Uh, and hey, then going off what, oh, go ahead. No, that, that, go, go ahead, Tristan. Okay. And uh, going off what you just said, uh, I think that once we do implement uh, something like that protocol you're talking about, um, it'll be for very, very large transactions that absolutely, absolutely need more than a two week period of time. Um, and on top of that, we'll also most likely offer a white glove service that, um, you know, ensures that people do get their uh, large purchase because, uh, the way I see it is, you know, we have, we've got bankers we work with today to, you know, make the escrow process go uh, smoothly for very large transactions. Um, so to solve that for, you know, the base layer solution is offer a, a dedicated, a white glove agent to help you, uh, get your transaction done with, uh, very smoothly. And um, <clears throat> that's something we we'll have to think about in the future. But as of right now, the only solution we have for what we do is using Lightning. But um, I would really like to see um, us make that uh, in the near future. So I was sitting here um, and I was just reminded of something when you explained the multi-sig uh, setup for on-chain escrow, I was reminded of, someone's gonna have to help me with the name because I was sitting here Googling it, trying to remember. Um, 
But there was this project a few years back. I'm not sure if you guys know about it, but there was a, a project a couple of years back um, by a handful of people trying to build a marketplace. Um, the the subtext for this marketplace was it was going to be a, a, a replacement for Silk Road and other darknet markets um, and make them more decentralized um, and, you know, have that kind of escrow built in. Did You're you have the name of it? Yes, Open Bazaar. Thank you. Yeah, um, you yeah, like I was really excited for that one for a long time. And then it didn't turn out to be much of anything, unfortunately. Um, but the one the one big thing that I do remember is that they had that multi-sig escrow built in. Um, so I, I find it fascinating that... Uh, that idea is still going. And in some sense, lightning escrow is still kind of, you know, escrow with multi-sig, but just with kind of tighter rules around it, I guess. Yeah, because lightning is multi-sig, right? So if you're if you're using if you're using lightning to do the payment, then you're definitely using multi-sig. And um, and you just have additionally you have the constraint of a time lock. Because on Lightning, we want to keep that trustlessness where you get your where you get your funds back if the if um, the routing nodes don't forward your payment after a certain amount of time. So we have to work within those constraints as well. Um, on the subject of Open Bazaar, um, they're not the only Bitcoin company who who's used two of three multi-sig to offer escrow services. Um, Casa does, and Unchained Capital does, uh, where they use multi-sig for a. Um, uh, what's it called? Uh, Unchained does it for loans, so like you can get a loan from Unchained from uh, a counterparty at Unchained, and or not. I, I don't think they they do the loans, but they match you up with someone who wants to be the other to, to be the lender, and then they escrow the funds like in a two of three multisig where they have a key and you have a key and the the lender has a key. Um, so like that that's that's something that already exists, and they're a profitable company that does this. But they only do it for one specific purpose. They only do it for loans. And one difference with us, um, oh, and BISC, BISC used to do it for trades. Um, so BISC Network used to use a 203 multi-sig for that. Uh, and then they switched to a new protocol uh, in 2017, I think, uh, where, they only, where they don't use 203 multi-sig anymore. HODL HODL does as well. So like there's there's companies that do this and are profitable using two of three multi-sig for escrow, but they're usually limited purpose, like just trading or just lending. Um, Purse.io does does uh, escrow, but only for uh, trading on Amazon, uh, buying something from Amazon. Uh, so ours is pro programmable. Like we, we, we have a full, fully functional API that you can use to access all the commands and to run them. And by being fully programmable, services additional services can be built on top of this that use it for other things which i think is pretty exciting i, I want to see clones of all these services i want to see a lending service and i want to see a, a matching engine for like derivatives trading and i want to see a clone of uh bisque and i want to see a clone of purse.io but you know that all takes time to build out but you can you can build additional companies on top of this because it's it's already um it's a programmable service you can use the escrow api for anything yeah, it's pretty cool. That, I think it's going to allow anybody to who wants to make a marketplace using Bitcoin uh, to start accepting Bitcoin for pretty much anything, as long as it's not a licked, uh, which I don't know how we're going to enforce, but we'll have to try and figure it out. 
So, yeah, like that was kind of a uh, thought process I had before, kind of, you know, how does your company uh, last long term? Because, you know, Open Bazaar, as the chief example here, you know, they, they had a really great mission, but like just couldn't get to the place where they wanted to go and just had to give up at a certain point. Um, so, like, from my perspective, I see your longevity as being like, hey, purse.io, I'm not sure they're a great example, but they're a example here. Um, and say, hey, purse.io, why don't you rip out your, you know, potentially garbage uh, escrow system and, you know, install ours um, and, you know, having that system kind of be built out and kind of worked on and have the funding that it needs to kind of continually have the maintenance it probably needs because lightning changes fast and a lot and all that stuff. So um, I might've just lost my question. Uh, <laughs> yeah, well, you, it was, how do you get longevity? And there you go, uh, yeah, exactly. Integrations with other services. Like I know that HODL HODL wanted to add lightning support, but they couldn't figure out how to do escrow on it. Um, so maybe they could integrate with us and that would that would provide lo more longevity because they're a very popular um, service over in Europe and, and actually in America now too because of their lending product. Um, or we could integrate, we, yeah, like you said, we could integrate with Purse. We could say, hey, rip out your, rip out your custodial escrow solution because Purse does a custodial thing uh, and replace it with ours and you, you get lightning and you get non-custodial to boot, which would be great for you know, even the regulatory side. Um, so there are possible integrations there. Also, um, if you if they don't join you, um, you can replace them, right? So we we could build our own hodl hodl, or we could build our own purse that uh, uses our protocol and and uh, just by I think just by making it very developer friendly and having a fully featured API that anyone can build on top of, um, that makes it so that if if the devs like it. Then, uh, then that's great. Then they, any any company that gets built on top of this and that becomes profitable or gets any kind of traction or usage um, gives us longevity too, because then we're just sitting there taking one percent of that of that of each transaction that happens on this other additionally profitable company or service. So exactly, and on top of that, I think once people start to realize like escrow isn't so formal anymore, and can be used for more than just homes, they, they'll they'll say like. Oh crap! I can use this for you know gaming. I can use this for my marketplace. I can use this for eBay. Uh, so like you like you, you said, um, I would love to see people build stuff on top of this and use escrow in a non-formal way. Uh, so eventually, it could be used for uh, any transaction that would need security. And I think uh, being able to see that in the future would be uh, something truly amazing. So in that regard, where are you guys with that? Are we still kind of, you know, building out the product, kind of figuring out all the moving parts and, you know, documenting them internally and, you know, just getting ready to, you know, work for individuals before you go off and offer your API to everyone that'll listen? Yeah, so we're actually, uh, I would say pretty much done with the MVP, but there's a lot we have to work out with like the bugs and stuff. Um, we are in private beta right now with a couple people. Um, and you know, they're finding things that, you know, I wouldn't have found using the, the service. So we're, we're fixing those, uh, but we're watching around quarter three for the general public. Um, but yeah, until then, uh, we're just working out a lot of, you know, the kinks and stuff. And eventually we'll, we'll be able to hand off our API to anybody who wants to use it. 
Yeah, if anyone wants to be part of the private beta, we're definitely looking for feedback and I've been getting some great uh, feedback from our current uh, set of testers. So if anyone wants to be part of it, let me know. Uh, tell me what if, if it is something, especially a developer, if you want to build something, that would be great, something on top of, escrow, of Lightning Escrow. Um, but if you just want to use it for, uh, you know, playing around and sending transactions back and forth between your roommate or whatever, uh, that's great too. Just let us know and we'll let you get access and then you can tell us um, what, what bugs you find or anything like that. And we can keep on working on uh, on the thing because it does work. Like I, we've been doing internal tests, but you know, you, there's probably, there, there are certainly edge cases and our beta testers have, have uh, found some where they're like, oh, this part isn't, it didn't work when I did this or whatever. So like finding all that stuff is really important so that it's, uh, so that it, there are no kinks when we do the public launch. Yeah, um, like like you said, if you want to contact us about using a private beta, uh, message me on Twitter. Uh, I'm on LinkedIn, and um, you know he's on Twitter as well. So just uh, do that if you're interested. So when thinking about like applications of uh, who would be using escrow, uh, what do you see as like the the first initial use cases of escrow? Uh, who do you imagine being uh, customers of of the service? So the thing is, is that this can be used with literally any marketplace for goods and services. So that's a hard question to answer. But I initially first seen this used um, with either domains or gaming. And that's because it's an instant online transaction uh, that would need a uh, security in place because uh, gaming is something that people get scammed in a lot. And I think we could probably end that, which would be nice. Yeah, one thing that I often think of is um, is independent domain name sales. Um, so, like, if you've got a domain that you registered with with uh, directly with the uh, international consortium of of whatever ICANN um, back in the early two thousands or whatever, and you're not using GoDaddy or something, it can be hard to sell that. Like, you might be parking on a really good domain, but you, but you can't really sell it um, because no one trusts that you'll actually send them the domain when you send them when you send them the money. Um, so offering an escrow service for that, I think could be really, really cool. And it would be very easy to check like on our end, like you just, you just check the ICANN registry and see if the, uh, see if it's owned by a new person now. And if it is, then you release the funds. Um, Funny so that's something like an option to integrate escrow.com with GoDaddy. Yeah, that'd be cool too. Um, if we could end up in there, but yeah, just like, uh, integrating these services or uh, making it easy for people to use escrow for those things would be really cool. Um, one thing that I want to say, uh, I would, or one thing I definitely think would be cool would be, um, I want to make uh, a clone of uh, uh, Bolts Exchange. If any of you have ever used Bolts Exchange, uh, you probably have because you're because like like me, you're all Lightning users. Um, it, it's a great way for going in and out of Bitcoin on the base layer and Bitcoin on on Lightning. Um, and but it's kind of expensive, and it, part of that's because of their fee, which uh, we would charge a one percent fee for the, for doing this. But it's also because whenever you do that, you have to pay somebody to close an HTLC, which uh, is a larger contract on in Bitcoin, and it, it costs more than a regular transaction. So I want to make a clone of that where you can do uh, if, something similar to submarine swaps, except instead of uh, closing an HTLC, you would just send somebody like. The, the person who has regular uh, Bitcoin in the base layer would just send a regular transaction to the other guy. And then we'd release the funds on Lightning to, um, to that guy once he's done that. 
And that would be very easy to check the blockchain and like see, did, did, the, did the right amount of Bitcoins go to the right address? If so, release the funds on Lightning to that guy, otherwise not. And you could make a cheaper version of, um, of Bolts Exchange doing that. Uh, so I'd like to see that. Uh, that's one thing I'd really like to build. And that's, that would be very useful for people who are trying to run their Lightning nodes and trying to manage their liquidity. Sometimes you got to swap out and swap in. And uh, Bolts is one of the things you can use for that. It's a little expensive, so we could offer a cheaper version. So I'd like to see that as well. Yeah, please. That'd be great. Like, that's probably the one reason I don't use Bolts as much as I want to is because it is so expensive. Yeah, it's like 5%. <laughs> so, <laughs> that would be a huge, huge improvement. I would love to see that. Yeah, it's just, it, there is a different trust a trust model though, because there's, um, it's all it's all enforced by Bitcoin script. Uh, the miners are gonna mine that transaction and you don't have to worry about it. Like there's no chance of censorship or anything, or there's very little chance of censorship. But uh, with ours, there is a different trust model because uh, you, we, you have to trust that the escrow won't like just always send your money to Bob, regardless of whether or not he actually sent you the Bitcoin. Um, so that's that's where I was. It's going back to the trust assumptions I was talking about earlier. Um, but yeah, there, there is a different trust model involved. So it's not an atomic swap anymore, but it's also a collaborative custody thing, which is cheaper but um, different. So. Okay, and so we were kind of talking a little bit about use cases there and a little bit about how Lightning escrow might find longevity. Um, questions that I like to ask are trying to examine the opposite of that. So um, what are reasons why you guys might fail, essentially? Why, why might this project fail? Actually, great question. I have a Google uh, document with 100 reasons why we might fail. Um, I can actually send that to you and you can post it somewhere if you'd like because there most definitely is a hundred reasons or more for us to fail. Um, especially when it comes to like regulations for uh, getting the proper, uh, like I think certificate or license to actually uh, do escrow. And right now uh, what we're doing is completely unregulated. Uh, so it's really, really tricky. Um, and it's really a great area when it comes to the law because you're supposed to have uh, all the certifications and licenses to, to do what we're doing. Uh, but since there's no banks involved, um, that's a, it's a really a hard question to answer of like what exactly what we're doing because on paper, uh, we're just a data company that deals with you know hashes. Um, but in reality, I think we are seen as in the eyes of people uh, a financial company. So uh, that's probably one of the biggest things that we're going to have to overcome in the future and hire one of the best lawyers in the nation to fight that. Um, and that's something that I'm really looking forward to fight in court. Yeah, that's, um, that's also a, that is a concern for me too, uh, and that's one of the reasons why I made this soft. The, uh, the back end is completely free and open source. You can go download it on GitHub and run it yourself. Um, so, or uh, so by doing that, it makes it so that if if we go down, you know, a, a dozen other Umbral nodes can spin up in our place. You know, because uh, I would I would really like to see this. I would like to see uh, Lightning escrow be a thing, regardless of whether it's us who's doing it or not. Um, Absolutely. One of the one of the issues with with the legal stuff, like they're, they're trying to change the law uh, right now. Uh, regula they're trying to change regulations to make it so that anyone who anyone who what they call facilitates a transaction uh, needs to file SDRs and stuff for and like get data on all their users, which they're trying to turn you into a financial company just for publishing data. 
which is like that's not that's not good uh and if they do that we could get we could get caught up in that that would be really bad um but yeah that's kind of why i think it's important to make sure that it's all free and open source and so if if they try and cut off the head of one 12 others can spring up in its place most definitely and the way i see it though is like you know i am worried about it somewhat but i see this more so in a positive light because you know most likely we will at least get the license uh, in place to do this. But on top of that, we will pretty much make uh, the standard for the law when it comes to exactly what we're doing because no one else is doing this right now um, in the way we're doing it. And it, it's gonna be a really hard hurdle to come over explaining this to the people, you know, the really old people you know, uh, running the, the circus right now. So uh, that'll be exciting. One thing that I thought would be really fun to make, uh, and I actually started work on this a while back, um, is a, a variant of the of the protocol where, um, whenever all we're doing is we're like, if if we uh, if the person makes his payment, then you get this then you get this secret hash or uh, pre-image to a hash that lets you withdraw the money. So it'd be kind of fun to make it so that you explicitly dem uh, display what you're doing by. Uh, presenting it as a bookstore, like each transaction is is uh, displayed as a little book on a on a website, and if if you are uh, in order for you to make your payment, you basically have to purchase the quote unquote purchase this book, and by purchase quote unquote purchasing the book that represents your transaction, you're sending the other party the payment, and inside the inside the quote unquote book is the payment hash you need to collect your or the pre image you need to uh, collect your part of the, of the whatever. And if we did that, then it would be kind of fun for them to say, oh no, you can't, you can't do this. You can't be facilitating transactions because you know, that makes you a financial company or whatever. And we'd be like, hey, all we're doing is selling books online. We're just selling eBooks. And uh, if you're gonna tell us we can't sell books, that seems like a first amendment thing. You know? So I, I actually started work on making, it, uh, making a version of the, of the front end interface that works like that. But it would be kind of hard to explain to users. Uh, you have to purchase a thing that looks like a book in order to make your make your payment uh, to the other party. But uh, yeah, it would be kind of fun because then if they came after us for doing this, we could be like, "Hey, all we're doing is selling books. You can't you can't really stop people from doing that because we have this thing called the First Amendment." Um, so I don't know. That's a uh, that's a thing. That's it. I, I really enjoyed the framing of it because one of the questions that, that came up for me was uh, are on the regulatory front is if you're running into money transmitter issues because uh, traditionally uh, money transmitters are regulated entities in the in the US uh, at the state level and so that usually comes into play when you receive money from one party and are paying out that money to a different party so that Usually it's kind of like a, at least the mental model that I have of what a money transmitter is. And it's, it's usually okay uh, to receive money from one party and then send it back to them at a, at a later date. Um, so then you're just dealing with the same person. Uh, however, when we're dealing with, with Bitcoin, um, there's sort of a, you're sort of walking a strange line because money is kind of the same thing as as information here and and so i i already heard you kind of frame it as you know we're we're a data we're a data company that we're we're just providing uh data whereas like that that ends up being um kind of a, a transfer of funds 
it, if, if you will. Uh, how have you been approaching yeah. that? So the, the the current law says that if you don't if you don't take custody of the funds, then you're not a money transmitter um, because Ellis has to give the money to Bob, and then Bob has to give the money to Charlie. Uh, which is not what this, that, that's not how lightning works. And that's not what we're doing since we're just running a routing node and either forwarding the payment or not based on some external conditions, we never actually touch the money. Um, but they, they're changing the law or at least they're trying to the, the new, the new proposal from FinCEN and for, not just from FinCEN, but even from our own, um, uh, IRS and, and those agencies. The new proposal is that it's not just anyone who, it's not like Alice gives the money to Bob and then Bob gives the money to Charlie, so Bob transmitted funds. They're changing the definition to say anyone who facilitates a transaction. Uh, and so then, even if you're just publishing data, they can be like, oh, but it, but Alice is paying Charlie and she couldn't have done it without you, so you facilitated the transaction and now you're, now you're on, uh, on the hook to follow all these reporting requirements and stuff that are just, uh, they just kill your business. You also, so um, these are the same people up there that say, you know, oh, Bitcoin isn't a real, a real asset, but then they'll go and tax it, right? So I think at some point uh, there is a line you can follow that I think it was Thomas was talking about. Um, but you know, that line is gonna run out very soon. And I think at that point uh, we have to take the chalk and start making our own line uh, from there on. Yeah, I think at some point it's going to, if they make this change, if this, if these bills or whatever go through that change the definition of a money transmitter, uh, then it's going to have to go to court. Um, someone's going to have to say, hey, all I did was publish data uh, so that Alice could pay Charlie. And you're calling me a financial service because of that. But all, all I'm doing is like writing stuff down and you're, and you're telling me I can't do that. Um, so the, it's a really it's really a First Amendment issue. If the, so, I would be happy to be the one to go to court in order to make that case. But um, you know, we'll see. It may it may be that they want to target a bigger fish than Lightning Escrow. Yeah, company or not, I would love to see this be you know a thing that's used in daily lives of people that need uh, escrow. Because once we do get, it's not a question of if; it's a question of when. When we'll get the court, uh, maybe even like the Supreme Court or larger, because it's such a new thing. Uh, what we can do is just say, oh, if you want to, you know, use this, if we're not a company, just, you know, literally download from GitHub and use ourselves because, um, you know, law or not, you can't really stop what we're doing. So you were previously talking about um, free and open source um, kind of being your like escape hatch here, um, you know, I know you guys are kind of thinking about this in two different ways. Like here's the technology we wanted to get out there and here's this business. Hopefully we can make it successful kind of thing. Um, would, would you say on some level, those are kind of contradictory. And so could a competitor come along, kind of steal your secret sauce, quote unquote, you can't steal free uh, open source stuff, I guess on some level, but like, could you, could you have a situation where you have an OBS, um, if you guys know what OBS is, and yeah. you have uh, Streamlabs who came along and just yoinked open source software and said, it's ours now, great, and just you know made a bunch of claims about how they invented great technology that's kind of getting fixed now with whatever, but yeah, no, um, so go ahead. I, uh, I absolutely agree. Uh, there is nothing stopping us from people making a company based off of this idea. Um, but as far as the company goes, this is only one product that we're going to offer in the future. That's another conversation for another uh, time. Um, but I honestly hope people try and take, I mean, it's a company because, you know, 
at the end of the day, we we are leading the example on on this protocol and how it works. So, sure, they can go ahead and steal this uh, this um, you know protocol. Um, but if that happens, you know, so a hundred other people, and I think that market's going to be flooded by people trying to offer escrow services the same way we do. Um, so to combat that, what we're hoping to do is just be the market leader and the no-brainer to go to when you need lightning services that use, or excuse me, escrow services that use lightning. So I typically, think if you if you offer service at a good price, um, people aren't going to steal your product just because they're they're like, oh, well, that they're doing they're doing a fine job at it, and well, it's it's not even that. It's just like I can't. It's hard to compete with somebody who offers a good service at a good price and has been doing it for longer than you. Um, so like LND would be an example here. Um, LND offers these, these great services like loop and pool on top of LND. And yeah, anyone could create their own clone of pool or create their own clone of loop. Um, but people are going to use the software that, uh, that's been around for a long time and has a good reputation and is offering a good service at a decent price. Uh, so I think that's kind of where we're going to be. We're uh, we're the only ones doing this right now, and I think it'll be a long time before anyone comes along and says, "I want a piece of that pie." And when they do, uh, we'll people will just continue to use our service because we are uh, we offer a good rate and we offer a good service. And then I think uh, people will see that as fair, and they'll just just use that. At least that's what I see happening. No, I totally agree. And even then, it's like Streamlabs did take uh, what was it, OBS, and um, I still think. Even after the fact, OBS is still the most used uh, recording software for that. So we're we're kind of in that same mindset where you know even if they do take it uh, and try to make a company out of it, it's going to do okay. Um, but people are still going to be using OBS at the end of the day. And you know if, if if someone figures out a way to do what we're doing better, then we'll copy them. <laughs> we'll just be like, exactly. oh, fire, 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 man. They figured out a great uh, a great extension on this or whatever. We'll do the same thing, and then uh, then we'll be. Uh, so, so there's that too. It's like uh, emulating someone else's feature set goes both ways. Um, so I guess we'll see what happens there. Yeah, but even then, it's like company or not, and I don't really care who's copying us. Uh, at the end of the day, we're solving a huge issue that the fucking banks really hate the fact that, you know, they don't have any control anymore of the escrow process in the next 10 to 15 years. And uh, the fact that we're solving that and giving that huge... Uh, this huge product to the, to the people to where banks won't be necessary anymore, uh, that, at the end of the day, will help me sleep at night and make me very, very happy, uh, company or not. I just, I really want to see this uh, escrow process uh, taken away from the banks. I would, lo- I would love that. So on that front, uh, what do you think the size of the escrow market is uh, maybe today and, and what... Uh, and w- what are the industries that you imagine that, that this uh, escrow service is is going to disrupt? So the market size actually today is about $29 billion. And um, escrow.com, since their founding, has transacted $5 billion. And the main industries they go into is goods and services, mainly domain names when it comes to goods, uh, as well as eBay. So uh, not just eBay either, places like eBay. So Etsy.com, um, you know, StockX, uh, the like, uh, and for services, and you, you, know, can, you can use them directly as well. You can list your own products on their on their website. Exactly, and um, I think the industries that we're wanting to go into is you know whatever escrow.com is going to because we obviously do it cheaper, faster, with more security, which is a a no brainer. But since we are also making it a lot less formal, 
and we're trying to get the word escrow uh, an everyday household name uh, for any transaction. I would love to see everyday industries get into this as well. So, you know, gaming, um, anything that would need security for a transaction, uh, you know, with no minimum fee or even if it's like something as small as like a rare book, uh, that would be nice. So the industries, the industries that we can go into are limitless because every time I talk to somebody of, you know, when I ask them, what would you use this for? I always get a different answer. Like for example, uh, this one guy I talked to, I'm not gonna name him, but he told me he's gonna use this for 3D printed parts for certain schematics that are, you know, <laughs> not legal. So I told him he totally could, but I don't have to try to figure out how to stop people like him, so. Yeah, another another thing I'd like to point out that uh, the majority of the transactions you make uh, in your daily life are done using an escrow, even if you're not realizing it. But anytime you're not paying someone directly, but you're paying someone who holds the money and then gives it to them later, you're using an escrow. Like every time you swipe your Visa card, for example, they don't, you're not they don't get the money directly. They don't get it for the, for the next thirty days. In the meantime, uh, Visa holds onto it and. Visa can say, all right, if you decide to do a chargeback or whatever, they can investigate that and then decide whether to do it or not. So that's escrow. You know, like almost every transaction that everybody makes throughout your day, now, wait you're, you're usually don't, not don't paying me. someone directly. You're Hold using on, escrow. For a second. Don't, don't tell me about the next product. That's, that's not under up for now. Sure, I'm not. I'm just saying escrow is used for almost every transaction you make. And so the potential for disruption is uh, is pretty big because everything you use is, is almost every time you make a transaction, it's escrow. The only difference, or the only non-escrow things that we use are when you take a $10 bill out of your pocket and you hand it to them and they give you change. There's no escrow there, but that's that's not how most transactions work anymore. Like more than 60% exactly. of them are escrow. So even today with the point of sale with like Visa cards and Amex cards, uh, there is escrow in place to you know dispute a transaction if it wasn't you. Um, but what Bitcoin does is it allows people so they don't have to rely on the bank banking escrow so that the point of sale is truly a point of sale right there and then. Uh, but for people that do want, you know, escrow with uh, Jackson, uh, we are going to offer that. Okay. Um, I just wanted to kind of give a quick reminder. We kind of hit the uh, the the one hour mark 16 minutes ago, but uh, we were kind of flowing, so I didn't Sorry want to that. interrupt. No, no, you're good. I just didn't want to interrupt the flow there, so we kind of kept it going. Um, so we're probably going to keep on going for another little while here, but I just wanted to give everyone a reminder about some of the people that make this Lightning Friday possible. So uh, that's gonna be me, Chaz, Lightning Junkies. It's gonna be Evan with Zeus Wallet. And that's gonna be Jestifer with Amboss.space. Um, so like those are like our personal and Lightning project. Cat. Get about Lightning Cat. Well, that's right, Lightning Cat. Well, that's a fair point. <laughs> thank you guys, Slate. I think Cat's gonna uh, thank you for that one later and kind of smack me in the back of the head too. So, uh, <laughs> but, um, what I was saying was uh, these are our projects, our, uh, our things, Lightning Junkies, Evan has Zeus Wallet, and Justifer has Amboss.space. So we shill those. We don't think it's the same as shilling some outside company because it's, it's us, basically. We're the ones working on it, and so we're no, we're not the, you know, shilling some garbage we don't even use or like or whatever. So, um, you know, I use Zeus Wallet. Um, I think... Zeus Wallet is one of the better ways to, you know, access your node on your mobile phone 
or even if you like to kind of use things on your desktop, I kind of like using Zeus in a on BlueStacks and Android emulator sometimes just for lols. Um, but yeah, it's it has it supports all the different implementations that are out there. Where most of them, LND, Eclair, C Lightning, even something like LND Hub as well. Um, and uh, on Justifer's side, we have Amboss.space, which is actually a Lightning Network Explorer. Um, one of the cooler ones, I think. The, the other guys, you know, they work, but I think Amboss does a little bit more to stand out and kind of constantly add features and constantly, like, have fun, you know? It's, you know, I, I don't know how many people are trying to have fun on their Lightning Network Explorer, but um, I think it kind of all makes sense. We're all trying to have fun. Well, there you go. So, uh, I mean, the the whole key send feature where you can just, you know, shitpost on amboss.space is actually a pretty fun feature. It shows the technology. It shows um, that it's really easy to implement on some level. I don't want to speak for everyone on the anyone on the amboss side, but I'm assuming it was relatively easy to implement that. Um, and so, it's I think it's a great way to do it. Like one. ML or one ml.com is fine, but they're they're a bit more of a stuffy uh, lightning explorer. So if you want one that's a little bit more fun, wants to kind of show off the features of the of the network we're using, I think Amboss does a little bit better job of that. Um, a little bit more direct engagement. I don't even know who runs uh, one ml. So anyway. Um, those are our companies. I mean, we also have lightning junkies, but you know, hopefully because we're hosting this, you already know who that is, who, who we are. Um, in case you don't, um, our thing is about bringing the Bitcoin and the lightning network to as many people as possible. Um, not about, uh, optimizing for, you know, trading or shit coins, ICOs or uh, AMMs or whatever, the automated market making, whatever. We could list all kinds of junk. Um, but, you know, that isn't what we're about. We're trying to find ways that actually help uh, people on the ground, if possible, in Kenya, in El Salvador, what have you. Um, if we're not helping those people, we're just jerking ourselves off. So uh, <laughs> that's that's kind of where we're at, uh, at Lightning Junkie. So hopefully you'll... Uh, uh, stick with us. So uh, anyway, back back to the uh, show here. Um, I also want to let anyone know that if you have any questions or comments that you'd like to make, both on Twitter Spaces and on YouTube, don't hesitate to request speaker privileges or to just ask a question on the uh, YouTube stream there. Um, we'll happily uh, respond or make you a speaker and, and answer your question. Um, but I think that's pretty much all the questions I had preloaded in my brain. Do you guys have anything else on your side you wanted to bring up? Yeah, if anybody has any questions for me or Mike uh, or for Geistlight, um, don't hesitate to reach us out on Twitter and just DM us. Um, but if you guys think that what we're building is interesting, uh, I'd really appreciate it if you guys went to lightningescrow.io and uh, sign up to you know notify you when we launch. So that's all, that's all I have to say for now. But. Yeah, I just want to reiterate, um, we, are, we are looking for more beta testers. Um, so if any of you are interested in helping us out with that and playing around with it, that'd be great. And uh, yeah, so that's the other thing. 
So uh, for now, I don't have too many other lightning escrow questions, but uh, for maybe for the next 20, 30 minutes, you guys want to just have a some lightning network discussion or even Bitcoin discussion, because there's at least one Bitcoin thing that I want to bring up that seems kind of interesting. And I don't usually talk about directly Bitcoin things. Let's do it. Yeah, sure. You can wait. All right. So Evan, you've been you've been hammering on this one quite a bit lately. So I think you're probably going to be speaking a good amount here. Uh, but uh, AOPP, uh, <laughs> like this has come up in the last few days and it's been driving me crazy. Um, because, I mean, I think that there are actually argu good arguments on both sides. Um, I think I obviously agree with the, the side that Evan, Samurai, and a bunch of other people find themselves on. Uh, so let's just kind of briefly explain what AOPP is. Essentially, there is a Switzer, uh, Switzerland law that says that you have to submit a particular kind of digital signature uh, confirming ownership of a Bitcoin address. And this AOPP uh, uh, protocol, I guess, for the signing process, this template or something, um, uh, was being adopted by all these different uh, wallet providers. So Trezor was the big one. We also saw Blue Wallet, Sparrow, and some others. Um, and it pretty much turned into people's uh, kind of maybe jumping the gun a little bit. Like I... I think the very the thing that I saw were the two arguments. So you have the one argument that says that this is just trying to turn Bitcoin into a KYC machine. Fuck that. I I kind of agree with that on some level. The the reverse argument seems to be that people in Switzerland uh, kind of have the suboptimal law over their heads, and that implementing AOPP gives a way for them gives a pathway to them to have self-custody, even if it does have this, to me, uh, kind of draconian uh, thing where you're signing your like uh, home address to each withdrawal address. Um, so, you know- Yeah, like I, I have some thoughts on this. Can I jump in? Yeah, go for it. Yeah, so the, uh, first I want to mention, that just for those who don't know, the term AOPP stands for Address Ownership Proof Protocol. Uh, and it's not like everyone in Switzerland has to prove they own an address. It's if, if, you're, if you bought Bitcoin on an exchange and you're withdrawing it, um, the exchanges over there are required by law to do some kind of attempt to prove that, you, that they're sending to you and not to somebody else. Uh, and I think that's really bad because like one of the big features of Bitcoin is that you're, you're supposed to be able to send it to other people. Like that's, that's, it's supposed to be digital cash. And so if you want to send from your exchange to, you know, John over here, it, they shouldn't throw up roadblocks in the way and be like, no, you can only with, you can only send to yourself. You can't send to John. That's, that's really weird. Uh, and another thing is that the, the protocol they came up with is, is one where you sign a message with your private key to prove that you own that address. And it doesn't actually prove anything. Like if I wanted to, I could say, hey, John, can you sign this message saying that you're me so that I can send you, so that I can send you this money directly from the exchange? And he can do that. He, he can sign the message and say, I'm Geistlight and I own this address. And then they'll send it to him. So it's, it doesn't actually prove anything. It's very easy to spoof the thing that they want, uh, the thing that they're trying to get you to sign. 
and I, I, I don't like the idea of forcing people to do something to, to quote unquote prove that you own an address when, it, especially when it doesn't even do that. It doesn't actually prove that you own anything. So that's my take on it. Right. Um, before I let anyone else continue there, um, I want to share something that Nicholas Dorier, um, the main dude behind BTC Pay Server, uh, came up with, which is basically your idea, but turning it into a service. Like you pay a VPN service a certain amount of money to do to sign for you, um, and you know, uh, sign with their own private keys. But then they send you know your own Bitcoin you know to a different address. Um, on your behalf or whatever, so it kind of turns it into a mockery kind of before it's before it's even working. So yeah, to kind of add to your point there, uh, just to offer you know some some alternative perspective on this. Uh, let let's see the my understanding of of the the law in in Switzerland is that you have to prove ownership of this address. Now we just as the login for for Amboss, uh, people have to sign a message uh, proving that they control the the private key of of a node. So it's it's just signing a message here that and that is being used to to prove that you have control over that and that you can make changes uh, to this. Now uh, when when folks in Switzerland are signing a, a, an address they're they're doing that as their form of kyc now when when we're looking at the alternatives here and we see the all of the kyc exchanges in the us where you're transmitting your uh, a picture of your driver's license you know both sides as well as personally identifiable information your name your address date of birth social security number uh what have you you know when when that's the alter alternative, I would much rather just sign an address and prove that I do indeed own that address. Now, my understanding is it's not a restriction on on subsequent transactions that you might make. But if I'm making a purchase from an exchange, it's okay for me to tell the exchange that yes, I do control this address, um, and then. You know, you can remit that payment to me, and then I control those funds. But what if you're not sending to yourself? What if you're sending to someone else? Now, like, I, I could certainly do that on a subsequent transaction, could I not? I don't think so. I think that every time, my understanding is that every time you withdraw, you have to authenticate that you own the address that you're withdrawing to, even if it's not yours. I think I think Jessifer means on the next like hop, like you're not withdrawing from the exchange. You withdrew the Bitcoin, you did the AOPP thing to withdraw it the, for, for this one transaction, and now for me to send it to someone else after I received it into my personal wallet. Yeah, yeah, you're, they can't stop you from sending it to John after you've withdrawn, but then you have to pay a fee twice. Like you, you're you're doubling your fee because they'd only want you to send the money to yourself and never to someone else. That that's the part I don't like. So yeah, I, mean, I, I so there's a couple of things. I, first, I want to talk about Jessifer's argument, right? So I understand the value in being able to sign uh, messages with Bitcoin keys, with Lightning keys. It's really awesome, actually, how you guys are doing it on Amboss. I love it. Uh, but when you're doing it on Amboss, you're not saying, hey, uh, 
you know, I'm, I'm signing in with my node and it's me, Jester, logging in. And here's potentially, you know, other PII, like my home address, you know, like you're, you're not using it for term for, for means of, uh, you know, enabling the state to surveil the blockchain, you know, like you, you really got to put this into context over like what the aims of this protocol are. And, uh, you know, furthermore, we, we got to look at the design of this protocol. It's not that signing is bad. There's plenty of great, uh, you know, BIPs in Bitcoin, like BIP322. Uh, Trezor even made their own protocol for address ownership. And, and that could be used too, right? But like this is specifically to enable state surveillance, uh, collecting data that can be used by totalitarian governments to put people in really bad, uh, precocious situations. Right. And if you go and you look at the spec, uh, it's a really poorly written spec. Uh, and, and the message field that, uh, is required in the spec, it, the contents of that field, there's no guidance as to what can be put in it. It's just like a free for all. It's like, you're the exchange, you put whatever you want. There's no guidance as to say, oh, hey, use a UUID, uh, you know, like they could be putting the PII in that message. And from there, not only are you exposing and linking that user potentially, like saying uh, it's Jester and he lives at 21 Satoshi Place with that address, and then potentially that address could be looked up to see how much Bitcoin you have. Uh, right. Um, Don't talk you know, to me, bro. It, could, it could further be intercepted at a system level, the way that they're passing the data over with URIs. So, the main problem here is like the spec has not even been thought out to cover edge cases and advise guidance on to how to actually protect the user's privacy. Right? So we've got this situation, right? It's not really the wallet's fault for trying to make the situation easier, right? It's ultimately the Swiss government that's at fault, right? But at the same time, we don't have to bend over backwards for totalitarian policies like this, right? You know, like there's, you're still able to use all these wallets after the takeout AOPP and do the signing procedure, right? But you don't have to make it easy for this uh, KYC hellscape to come to fruition. Anyway, I think I think I saw one wallet that said they were removing message signing altogether, um, which I, I mean, that's they can do what they want. But there's, if they don't, if they don't want to have message signing in their wallet at all, I guess that's fine. That that's their wallet, and they can do what they want with it. But um, I, I like the ability to sign a message and prove, prove that, or not actually prove that I own a Bitcoin uh, address, but at least prove to some people's satisfaction that I own one. I like the ability to do that. So like, I'll use wallets that let me do that. And but, and, and just the the concept of message signing could be used for such cool. Uh, like systems like LNURL auth is just based on signing a message from your node using that, that private key that controls the node, right? Like you could have such yep. incredible uh, benefits to the users, right? It's just that in this situation, it's, it's completely egregious. It's completely poorly thought out from a technical perspective. And it's, it's like not even required. Like the only uh, like wallet that I might give the pass to right now is uh what is it? Uh, the the Swiss one, the the bit, the Bitbox, right? I think they may be required to. They might be considered a virtual service provider because they're in Switzerland. But everyone else, like, why are you guys making accommodations for the state? Like, you don't want to hear it from users. 
Well, instead of like trying to like accommodate this workflow for like really awful means, why don't you encourage users to not use those exchanges? Why don't you encourage your users to go and use peer-to-peer alternatives? Like what if it's, it's just like so egregious and counterintuitive to the entire ethos of Bitcoin to be doing these sort of things. And it, it's like so, so silly. Um, but at, at the same time, I understand uh, that, you know, it's very nuanced. Uh, there, there's parts of it that, you know, it just seems silly on the surface. Like I'm not getting bad at like offering the ability to sign a message. And, you know, ultimately it's, it's really not these wallet developers fault for the world that they're operating in or the jurisdictions that they're operating in. But at the same time, like we got to grow a damn spine, like a backbone in this community, because for the most part, these wallets, they weren't like compelled to add this feature. What are they going to do when they are compelled to do all sorts of awful shit by the jurisdictions they're operating? They're going to fold. So I I just think that, you know, things could be worse, right? It's like not at the surface is not the worst thing all in all but it's a very slippery slope and it could lead to worse conditions. And it, it honestly legitimizes really awful practices. So anyway, that, that's my two cents. Um, you know, it's really a loaded topic. Uh, I, I don't really want to put blame on any of the real, the wallet developers. Most of them, like I really love their products, you know, blue wallet, Sparrow, especially are really great products. And I'm just glad that, you know, the, the most, the bulk of them like corrected course, they saw the errors of their way and they were willing to listen to the community and say, okay, you know, this is not worth it. And uh, you guys have some right ones. So, uh, I want to thank you, Evan, because uh, one of the, the, one of the points you made is one I haven't heard before, which is uh, a tech, a technical criticism um, that they, that the specification doesn't, uh, doesn't properly uh, give instruction on what to put in the, in the message field. Uh, I hadn't heard that technical criticism before. And one of my previous takes on this thing before I heard you say that was uh, the specification is fine. There's nothing wrong with the AOPP protocol. Uh, it's just one way of proving you own an address. The problem is with the intention or the, you know, the problem is with the developers or the problems with the government making it a requirement or stuff like that. But now I, now I know that there's actually legitimate technical criticism of the specification as well. And it's, it's also, in addition to all yeah, that, it's also a bad protocol. So. Yeah. Yeah. You could separate like an ethical disclaim uh, argument against it as well as, as technical, like they're completely separate things. Right. Um, you know, there's a little yeah. overlap, but you can deconstruct them completely separately. And um, yeah, it's, it's just it's just insane. But um, you know, it's something I've seen time and time again where people make these specs and they just make them too loose and they don't consider all the edge cases that they're creating. You know, like I, I worked in security for a few years, and like one, one really big case I thought of was the JWT token spec, which is used for uh, logins especially in like JavaScript applications. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. This spec has been the cause of countless hacks because they weren't specific enough in the spec itself. They do two things. They, they say, okay, number one, when users connecting to the server, they're allowed to specify the algorithm that's used in the mix. <laughs> and two, they don't explicitly state that the user shouldn't be able to select no algorithm. <laughs> So this <laughs> it got implemented 
by three or four different uh, libraries the wrong way, all having similar bugs, and and it led to the the hacks of like you know countless websites. So uh, you know when when you're developing your own spec, whatever your intentions are, you need to be very specific and consider all the edge cases that you're providing, uh, because you know if you don't and you publish something and it gets steam and people start implementing it you have the potential to open up like a whole can of worms. And, and I think that this could definitely have, uh, be, you know, uh, be the case with AOPP here. So I don't know. Uh, there, I, I think that there's a good chance this sticks around in Switzerland. There's been other jurisdictions in which people have fought back against it. They've gotten their restrictions loosened up. I, I think maybe in, uh, in the Netherlands, I don't quote me on that. Um, and, and, and that's really the right attitude to take, but if they're going to keep rolling the, with this, they, yeah. they need to tear up the spec issue with 2.0 and, uh, really put into consideration users privacy. And, and there's no reason why, why they can't simply, uh, clarify in the spec that a UUID should be used in place. It, it would cut down on chances for abuse by uh, rogue third parties, like uh, entirely. And then that's 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 just like one one thing to be uh, concerned about with this thing. So I don't know. Sure. Yeah. So like on, on this, like I I understand that that you know you've got a a perspective that is you know pretty like anti-government type stuff. But we're we're also dealing with like permissionless innovation here. So so there was a spec that was created AOPP. Um, I think all the 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 folks with with you know, more technical understanding of this uh, have some very reasonable objections to the way that the spec is is written. However, like anybody can create whatever they want. And if they want to use it for government compliance stuff, like that's up to them. Now, the issue is not with message signing, which is uh, which is something that I think a lot of Bitcoiners enjoy, and it's something that, that we use actively at, at Amboss as a way to to do authentications. Um, so, so kind of just like add a little bit of nuance here. Like, we don't, uh, you know, it's uh, yeah, we we can we can still sign messages, um, but maybe like if you're going to write a spec, like make it specific, um, and and not not set users up to to make mistakes and i'm i don't particularly want to like blame the blame the wallet providers as well for for uh trying to implement this because i i don't i don't know that there's uh we have a history of like government specifically asking them or telling them to in, include this this spec i i would imagine that the wallets have introduced it as a convenience for users where they have the option of using this lower KYC uh, type of like proof of ownership instead of uh, uploading, you know, name, address, date of birth, social security number um, and their driver's license. Yeah. I mean, but is it being used in place of those things? Like I, I don't, I, I'm yeah. not sure. Yeah. It, like that's, that's the restriction for, for Switzerland. Like, uh, you can you can buy a thousand uh, thousand Swiss francs per day of Bitcoin uh, by simply 
proving that you own the address and you don't have to give them more information. So like that, that's, that's huge. It's basically no KYC Bitcoin purchases. Now, I, I don't know what other information they're going to stick in that AOPP like protocol, but if you just sign a message and be able to buy that much Bitcoin per day, like that's pretty sweet. That's that might even be superior to like what you have to do for BISC if you're going you're that would like involve your name and phone number going to an, another another party that, that you're buying from. Um, whereas here, like you're proving ownership of an address that's gonna go to a regulated exchange. So I I think I think Guy Slight kind of brought up an interesting point. Um, you know, kind of taking these points and putting them to the side, you know. Um, my thought process kind of brought me back to Craig Wright, actually. Um, as as I'm sure everyone is aware who, who Craig Wright is. Um, but like, it's, it's kind of the same. What's up? It's, that would be the perfect application for something like that. Right? So it's like, um, so we have Craig Wright, right? Who... Um, is making the claim that he's Satoshi and people have asked for years, you know, why don't you just sign with a fucking private key and get it done with? And then it proves it. But like any, any smart Bitcoiner in that same, in those same conversations or threads or what have you would eventually crop up and be like, no, not really. Um, it only, it only proves possession or access. Um, it doesn't prove uh, identity in any way, shape, or form. Um, so, like, yeah, it, you know, it doesn't it's, even prove it's, it's a kind of uh, it doesn't term. even prove possession because you you could just say like, it, um, I could go up to a whale who has an address with five thousand bitcoins in it and be like, hey, can you sign a message saying I'm Geistlight and I own this address? And he could do that, but it still it wouldn't prove that I own that address or or that he's Geistlight. Right. It would just be him claiming to be with his private key. Yeah, that's, right. that's a good point. <laughs> Maybe so, I should move to Switzerland and say that I'm Guy Slade and start buying a lot of Bitcoin. <laughs> well, I I guess my this question is, is like, kind of, yes, do that. <laughs> I guess my question is here, like looking at the reality of of that situation, that signing a message doesn't prove jack fucking shit. Um, is is the policy just theater then? Like, is this KYC light just a thing that they do in Switzerland and in the in the U.S. we do other bullshit that's also dumb, but maybe not as dumb as this? I I don't know, man. We, we do way dumber shit. Yeah, like hold up uh, a picture of yourself with your passport and a message saying, "Hey, please, uh, River.com, please let me buy some sets." Like, it's really ridiculous. And I think we could all agree that this age of KYC Bitcoin uh, definitely has a lot of downsides. Uh, you know, there are upsides too, getting access to, you know, tons of people buying Bitcoin, but it's definitely not ideal. And, you know, at least in my eyes, like, I hope this is only a temporary period. I know it's probably going to last a long time, but I, I just hope that. <laughs> You know, we, we see like more, um, you know, peer-to-peer -peer stuff, people thinking in terms of, you know, just communal things like building an agora of people they can transact with. And like so this, just, this stuff sort of just going to the, to the wayside, but 
Now, the reality is our, our world is like deeply entrenched in, in the system of, you know, uh, banking and control. And, and it's going to be really difficult to dig ourselves out of it. So I think that we got to do whatever we can to, to try to push things and push the needle in the right direction. And just simply implementing AOPP, while I understand the in- intentions of some of these wallet devs, you know, they probably just got support tickets from their Swiss customers and they're like, okay, let's help them out. Let's just build this in. So it'd be better to have their coins self-custodied at least. At the same time, like it's that that sort of behavior is just pushing the needle in, in the wrong direction in my eyes. The way I see it is that this is just a, a massive attempt at a power grab from the Switzerland state because they, they hate the fact that it's coming to an age where, you know, Switzerland won't be the, uh, you know, be all end all when it comes to financial privacy, right? Because back then, you know, in the 80s and before, Switzerland was like the place to hide your money. But now that, you know, it's not about Switzerland, but now the fact that they can't even control the narrative of that, of that anymore, uh, they're just trying to do as much as they can um, at, to their extent of their knowledge to, you know, have some sort of power and say, and like how, you know, Bitcoin is used in their state. Uh, but the issue with that is that, like the gaslight said, is that they, they literally can't. And what they're doing is pretty much like you guys said earlier, theater play. And, and, and it's sad because no one's falling for it. So my question is like, why do we even pretend and continue to use this uh, with Switzerland? I don't see why uh, we can't just go uh, to something like a peer to peer exchange. Um, to avoid all of these things because it's just a ridiculous theater. I mean, it's a uh, lot of different things, right? It's like, it's education, it's convenience, it's like price points, it's like liquidity, right? But, um, you know, it's 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 a really complicated uh, setup that we're in, but the best thing you could really do right now is like try to educate other Bitcoiners and, and try to push them in the direction or at least educate them at, into you know, what the dangers of things like KYC are. Yeah, I think I think amongst the the crew up here, like we have direct experience working at places that show us that it's it's not straightforward, unfortunately. Um as much as, you know, like I think there are some in Bitcoin that would say, let's just get rid of all exchanges, burn them all down, get rid of all of it. And we'll just like manually onboard the entire world with open dimes and uh, bisque or whatever. And as much as I wish that were true, um, it's probably not true um, that the majority of people uh, are more likely to go use Kraken than they are to go use BISC. Even myself, like I I use BISC when it was called their first name. I can't even remember it anymore. But like I used it's it square. way back. Yeah, thank you. Um, when it first came out and I really liked it. I thought it was cool. Uh, I used it with um, that, that, uh, that bank thing that sucks Zelle. Um, and uh, it was fine. But like just the pro like and Bitcoin was kind of expensive back then. The uh, the transaction fees were spiking back then. So and I'm a cheapskate. So I was like, I yeah, whatever. Um, I'm not gonna bother with this whole rigmarole and do all this and you know still still send one person my ID on some level. Um, anyway, um, so have I, I can understand the delist Bitcoin campaign. <laughs> I have not. Oh, is it for the Sats thing or to for for, for Bitcoins or I don't know. For no, I, 
Just, there was some guy who proposed like um, we we should we should take uh, the, the the there's a few people who are like you should delist Bitcoin because because of uh, and then they'll list a bunch of FUD reasons. This guy was like we should do that like we should run with that we should say Bitcoin uses a lot of energy delist Bitcoin or hashtag delist Bitcoin or Bitcoin's used by criminals hashtag delist Bitcoin and the goal would be to get Bitcoin off of exchanges like Coinbase and Kraken and these other altcoin casinos. Because it damages Bitcoin's brand, like to be the people think of it as just another token that you can go on these exchanges and trade with, whereas what we think of it as is you know the cypherpunk future of hyper Bitcoinization and stuff, uh, and Bitcoin for the streets. So uh, you know hashtag delist Bitcoin, get it off all the exchanges and get it to be just something that like push to people on the streets and, and using uh, all open source alternatives and stuff and get it back to that cypherpunk dream. Um, but I don't know. I, I thought some of you might have heard of that idea before. Yeah, I mean, I love it, but there's two things. Like, well, Number one is you're going to decrease the demand for the asset, right? So you're going to bring down the price if you could use it less places. And that's just like an unfortunate reality of things. The second thing is that these shitcoin ca- casinos, quote unquote, are never going to delist Bitcoin because the greatest utility of all these shit coins is that you could trade them for Bitcoin. Yeah, I know. It's like when when sixty five percent of their volume is is into Bitcoin, they're not gonna they're not gonna get rid of their cash cow. So it would be a, a it would probably not work, but uh, we could still do it and still be fun. Bitcoiners saying delist Bitcoin. Well, I I think the, the the reality is like let's use Kraken as as the prime example here. The people internal to Kraken like. They're they're Bitcoiners through and through. Is the entire company Bitcoiners? No, but the like core executive team and a lot of the uh, the other people are Bitcoiners through and through, and kind of detest a lot of the casino stuff. Um, but like, so for that reason, I don't think that they would want to let it go internally. Um, that like we like Bitcoin, we don't want to get rid of Bitcoin. We want it to. to you know, be at the top of the list when they open up Kraken.com. They still have to, before they got to the thousand uh, staking bullshits, they can, you know, look at Bitcoin first and realize it's still still the one that Kraken actually cares about at the end of the day. Um, because, like, I'm just going to use Kraken as an example because I'm the most familiar with them. Um, in, like, 2017, Kraken was doing amazing in uh, 2018, like, or let me go back to 2016, uh, they were getting creamed. They were like broke. Uh, in 2017, they get a bunch of money because of the bull market. 2018, eh, they were kind of not doing as good. They laid off a bunch of people, um, et cetera, et cetera. So I think a large part of the casino stuff that like Kraken and a lot of the others took on like I'm not defending it really because I, I still would vote and just not do it in general. But um, I think if we're thinking about keeping this kind of business alive that is generally not sending stuff to the IRS, they're getting pushed on that now, but they they resisted that for years. They resisted a lot of other regulation and a lot of other stuff, it kind of more in the name of Bitcoin and less in the name of DeFi and things like that. Um, so, like I understand the kind of whole delist Bitcoin. It's kind of the feeling that I get from like the samurai dudes and stuff like that. Like they would rather burn down all the exchanges and get rid of all that shit and just make it Bitcoin for the streets. 
And I very much uh, sympathize with that mentality, but I, I think it would, it would gut Bitcoin in, in a large way. Um, would it recover? Maybe eventually, but I'm, I would be very nervous about throwing away tools, throwing away advantages that we have. Are they perfect advantages? No. Are exchanges perfect? No. Um, are they kind of counterproductive in certain situations like uh, Segwit 1x? Yes. Um, but I think at the end of the day, did has Coinbase helped Bitcoin profoundly? Uh, yes. Anyone that denies that is out of their damn minds. Has it happened lately? Fuck no. But, you know, going back to 2012, 2013, like Coinbase was one of the more important on ramps. Um, I don't know. Maybe I'm kind of going off on a rant here, so my bad. But like, I think I think my position is yes. I would love if we could just instantly all become cypherpunks and you know get everyone to understand what that means and buy into it and join our club and we could all have parties and get drunk all day and not have to worry about a single thing. But uh, different people want to get to things differently and they're going to disagree on things and have different uh, commitment levels and laziness and uh, different day jobs and whatever, you know, a million different details and complexity things we could add into this to just say that I think exchanges serve a really good purpose. Um, even if they're suboptimal at the end of the day, even if I hate KYC, I hate like I work with a, with a compliance team every day, pretty much. And like, I'm on mute during these compliance meetings saying, go fuck yourselves, go fuck yourselves. Because it's, it's, it's such a broken everything that like, there's no real rehabilitating it. Like at some point we will have to gut this entire thing and find a different way to do things because just keeping track of everything and trying to build risk systems and alert systems and all that stuff breaks, all that stuff stops working at some point. So, you know, X amount of like a subset of your customers are getting fucked, period. Like no matter how good of a job you do, some subset of your customers are getting fucked. It happens at Kraken, it happens at Cash App, it happens at River, it happens at every single good Bitcoin company you could possibly name. It happens at Strike. Um, so like- It happens like, even at yeah, systems. Like regular banks, they have the same sort of risk systems and they just use these algorithms. And you know, oftentimes those algorithms with very little human approval, determine that, okay, this customer's risk profile is out of our range of tolerance and you know we're just gonna shut down their account. I'd like to make Bitcoin nerd money again because ever since we made it mainstream, the mainstream uh, decided that the innovation here is, uh, what's the innovation in Bitcoin? Oh, well, digital scarcity means we can trade monkey JPEGs. And that's what that's what goes on television and late night news. So it's like that was a mistake. We should never have made Bitcoin mainstream. Um, we should have we should have kept it as a kept it as nerd money, and then uh, we would disagree. super cipher cypherpunk. I highly disagree. I think it's necessary to go through that phase because you look back at things like the dot com bubble, and you had all these companies starting up just to get funding, um, and you know most of them were just straight up stupid. And I think it's necessary to go through this phase of you know 
going through all the stuff that we think is silly now so that we look back on it later in the future and say, hey, this is what we not need to do and uh, stick with just Bitcoin because um, we learn from these kinds of things. Hi there, Ding. I'm bringing it up here to the stage. Do you have a question or comment that you'd like to make? Oh, I, or, yeah, go ahead. Okay, so I guess not since you're uh, not speaking up there. I think he has to um, uh, uh, unmute himself. Sorry, right. are you hearing me? Uh, yes, sir. Oh, sorry, man. Yeah, when you, Do you have a question or comment? Yeah, when you come up, it, you it's like a time gap. Um, yeah, I was just commenting on what was going on with the whole the perceived value thing. And someone mentioned that um, Bitcoin becoming mainstream has certain downsides to it. And I would say that the most powerful force in the universe is perceived value, um, the power of the observer. And um, yeah, if free people want to stay free and be free, um, and, and, and people that aren't free want to achieve freedom. I think it all starts with the perception of value change, you know? Um, and that's, and that's what Bitcoin really is. No, I totally agree, man. I think mass adoption with Bitcoin is uh, one of the biggest things that's going to help people achieve that level of freedom. So I agree. So my, my inference is, uh, and has pretty much always been. And like, I would kind of argue with people about this that like, uh, like samurai guys, for example, have a very negative outlook on uh, like big money coming into the space because they see it as them attempting to co-opt it. And I understand that perspective. And I even think it might be true at times, but um, I also have the reverse. Uh, I've always had the reverse concept in my head that you know, as time goes on, Bitcoin is going to become much more of a Trojan horse that like people are going to, like the people that we're kind of reeling in here on like in, in a certain sense, not the nerd money crew, as Guy Slate put it, um, that we're bringing them in kind of kicking and screaming by using the profit motive as an incentive saying, hey, guys, plow your money into this thing. You're going to make a bunch of money. But what we're doing is Trojan horsing like all of us into like we're, we're kind of removing the legacy system by kind of dragging everyone else with us. We're like exiting the, the legacy system, going over here and saying, hey, come join us. And we're getting more and more people to pull with us. Yes, we're also pulling a lot of the people that want to control things and want to make things in their way and all that, too. Um, and we're also bringing in people that are legitimately have positive uh, goals, but are maybe misguided and don't really know the like on the ground truth of it all. Um, and so might be there might be the kind of people that are pushing through this AOPP thing. Um, and so and I think like kind of going back to the Internet analogy with Bitcoin, um, I think if you ask a lot of people, uh, about the internet and how it got centralized, I think it's a, a kind of similar path that Bitcoin might take potentially that it's, um, you know, people quote unquote being lazy or wanting convenience and taking a certain path um, with the internet. Like I'm not going to be able to delineate all that for you because I honestly don't know what the specifics are, but I know that people that look at that stuff far more than I do can kind of 
breakdown that the internet that they wanted in the 90s is not the internet that we have now, for example. But which is which the, is why which is why ahead. we learned from that from that from our lessons from there, and we kind of stick. We really have to stick to our ethos and have people like uh, me and Gaslight build uh, a truly free system to where it won't get to that point, and it would be impossible to get to that point because of the adoption that it would uh, reach. And um, you know, sticking to the ethos is, I think, uh, one of the most important things for us to do. So, yeah. And yeah, I would agree. The- Sorry, real quick, like, I just think, like, anyone paying attention has seen that there's, like, no institution under human control that is, like, you know, um, that is uncorruptible, right? So, like, we really need to try to design systems that can't be corrupted, that can't be evil, that are just designed from the beginning to be free of human influence. And and that's really, like, the, the main beauty of... Bitcoin, at least it's monetary policy. I think the solution to that is, you know, we have free and open source software today, right? And, you know, people use uh, software that's free and open source, but the solution to that is free and open source finance so that everybody has the ability to get into the financial system of the world without any roadblocks. So something that I definitely believe here is that Bitcoin is essentially the Linux of money. Like maybe it's just because I've talked to Rusty Russell so up so much that like I just, his, his analogies of Linux just work their way into my head and now I agree with them. But um, it, it just seems to me that like over time, um, a lot of the other chains that have been focusing far more on that VC money, far more on the flashy bullshit um, are eventually going to go back to where they came from, back to being irrelevant. Um, like, let's take NFTs, for example. There's many different opinions of NFTs, but I think the the plain reality of it, of it is uh, NFTs came out on Bitcoin first. They were popular for a minute, then stopped being popular because no one really gave a shit. Um, but they became popular again on Ethereum because they could be used as a way to pump the asset. Um, it could be used as a way to make the the project itself look good, even if nothing actually interesting was going on. Nothing was actually helping people. It was just the narrative of it all. Now, Bitcoin and Bitcoiners don't necessarily have like the ability to have perfect narratives and perfect everything that doesn't really exist. So we sometimes, you know, bullshit and say things that aren't right and kind of push narratives that are wrong, but. Um, I think generally speaking, though, we're less likely to be like the Ethereum folks as an easy example and uh, kind of go headlong into bullshit that we don't really give a shit about. ICOs, NFTs, things like that, things that are actually counterproductive to ourselves, we tend to not care that much about. I guess we do kind of go through the trading uh, trading shit coins on top of Bitcoin every couple years. You know, we're getting ready to do that again with Lightning. Um, but I, I think being boring, being conservative, um, not being flashy, um, not caring about having all the latest features um, is a good thing. Um, and I think over time that will that will make itself more and more clear. Um, you know, a lot of the Ethereum folks are convinced that they're going to flip in Bitcoin. And again, flashy numbers, vanity. Um, 
all of these things being kind of like the goal here that like our numbers are better than your numbers. Therefore we succeeded. Um, no, uh, succeeding means you're helping people and you have metrics related to that. Not, Oh man, we sold a billion dollar NFT. Let's jerk off now. No, no. Like El Salvador is an example where Bitcoiners are helping people. Um, but even then they're not satisfied with that. They're not satisfied with just the news story. They want to go there and make sure it's not bullshit. Don't trust verify. Um, so we're kind of reaching the end of the podcast. So um, if you guys have any final comments, uh, I keep going into rants here. So that's probably going to be what we keep doing if we let me talk here. Yeah, you're fine. I, uh, I love that comparison of Linux uh, with Bitcoin because I think Debian is to Linux as Bitcoin is to money because, you know, there's all these other distros out there with Linux. But at the end of the day, Debian is uh, the most widely used uh OS when it comes to servers. So I think that's a great comparison. I had to take off guys, but uh, thank you so much for coming to talk to us about uh, lightning escrow.io. Um, I'm really excited to, to try out the service uh, and, and thanks for all the fantastic conversation, but absolutely. Thank you. I'll, I'll take off. Absolutely. Thank you guys so much for having us. It was an absolute pleasure. Later, Justin. Um, oh, yeah, guys, right. thanks for coming on. Really stoked for the product and uh, going to be signing up soon. Stoked to see what you guys put up. So best of luck with everything. Thank you. I really appreciate that. I will go ahead and put out one final call for questions or comments. Um, but I'm going to assume that we are here at the end. We want to go ahead and thank Tristan and Geistlight from Lightning Escrow. Uh, keep in mind that they are accepting uh, beta users at the moment. Uh, they're in private beta. So go ahead and message them on the Twitters. Um, if you're interested in doing that, we're going to be uploading this to the, uh, the RSS feed. So if you're hearing this on the RSS feed, I'm pretty sure this will still be valid um, in February of 2022. If you're listening to this in 2023 or beyond or something, it may not be valid anymore. So you know, check with Geist Light and uh, Tristan on this. So um, do you guys have any be final valid. thoughts before we, we, we close out? This most definitely will be valid, trust me. Um, but yeah, as far as other thoughts or comments, uh, no, I uh, had a great time talking to you guys and uh, answering your guys' questions. So um, thanks again, man. Really appreciate it. Do you want to let the listeners know how they can find you and Lightning Escrow on Twitter and elsewhere? Sure. So my Twitter is Tristan Beach, B-I-E-T-S-E-H. Uh, I'm also on LinkedIn. And the uh, escrow website is lightningescrow.io. So be sure to sign up. You too, guys, light if possible. We, we want to hear about your Twitter. Yeah, uh, my Twitter is uh, at Geistlight. Geistlight is spelled G-E-I-S-T. L I G H T, <clears throat> and um, also we have a we have a Twitter Lightning Escrow uh, at Lightning Escrow, so if you uh, go there, you can also follow us there. All right, perfect, guys. Well, uh, this is one of the longer Lightning Fridays. I think that's perfect. That means that we were really into the conversation and actually enjoyed it here. So I'll consider that a success. Um, I'll, uh, I want to go ahead and thank everybody. I like thanking people sometimes. I want to thank Evan, Justifer, Geistlight, Christian. 
Thank you, Kat. I really appreciate you recording this for YouTube and uh, accepting me being a bit of an asshole before we recorded here. So thanks again. Um, to, to everyone else, uh, I'll see you on the Lightning Network.